Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon, tennis fans. Welcome to the Yellow Ball Network, where you'll find today's tennis discussions. This is your host, Coach Denise, exploring tennis blessings and its effects on life's journey. Tennis is a wonderful sport, which could be the vehicle that takes you through life's journey. And our mentors, they might just provide the roadmap for your journey. For the last five-plus years, I have been blessed to be talking with mentors who have paved the pathway for many tennis players and coaches. Who are these mentors you will hear on our Thursday's broadcast? The Almighty will in at least once a month. You will continue to hear either Dr. Alan Fox or Coach Chuck Reese. As a matter of fact, Coach Chuck Reese will be our mentor for today. Our mentors are always sharing knowledge, and some of the other mentors are big people like Coach Ashley Hobson, Bobby Bayless, Dr. Bryce Young, Ed Crash, Johnny Angel, Nick Saviano, Scott Williams, energy coach Linda LeClaire, and others. Besides the coaches sharing their knowledge, you may also hear other college or high school tennis coaches or even USTA, PTR, USPTA heads, as well as leaders from tennis and racket sports organizations. Because I do believe Dr. King, when he said, our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter, each week you will hear my biased views on North American tennis and life. I would like to thank Yellow Ball CEO J.P. Weber for hosting the program on the network, and of course, the nice thing about Block Talk Radio is you can listen anytime you'd like to any of the programming on the Yellow Ball Network. Yesterday, actually, I listened to Coach Greasy and uh, uh, live, which seldom happens. Uh, I can't remember the last time, but my day gets crazy sometimes. Sometimes I don't hear him until 11 o'clock at night, but you know, I'm going to. I'm not going to miss uh, one of the programs, that's for sure. Besides our Thursday's conversations, the Almighty Willing, you will be able to continue reading my articles in Florida Tennis Magazine. And as I have previously stated, if you disagree or want to comment, please email me at coachdenise.fhstca at att.net. That's Coach. D-A-N-I-S-E dot F-H-S-T-C-A at A-T-T dot net. Who knows? You may read your views in Florida Tennis Magazine or hear them on a future broadcast of Coach Denise Exploring Tennis. But uh, I do like to hear, if we could get into a civil conversation about it, I'm always willing to hear your view. You're going to hear my biased views, and I'm willing to share yours. If someone has taken the last issue of Florida Tennis from the Pro Shop, by the way, or you're not a subscriber, you can always read the last issue of the magazine by going to www.floridatennis.com. Or in between the issues, you can read Jim Marks, uh, myself, and the other writers' uh, articles sometimes, uh, and my commentary on Thursdays on Facebook at uh, FL Tennis. At Facebook at FL Tennis. We do try to keep you abreast of what's going on between issues, and um, we're always uh, willing to share your information too. So. Please let me know. Uh, you know, I think I see Chuck on. Hang on a second. Coach, are you there? Yeah, good, good afternoon, John. How are you? I'm blessed, Chuck. How about yourself? Good. Very good. Very good. Thank you. I My commentary today uh, was uh, about sports and the 
the the value of sports, I think, is that uh, the rules are clear. At least they should be. The rules actually, I think, are clear, just like in life. It's just that uh, they're not always interpreted or people make exceptions for stars or for situations. And then there's some old fogies like me that these are the rules. And uh, if you're going to be on my team, you play by <laughs> the rules. So, But everybody's not that way. Uh, I did uh, – I'm not going to read the whole – uh, commentary because it is posted on Florida Tennis and it's um, posted in uh, uh, a bunch of other uh, places too. But I did want to uh, talk just a moment. Uh, one of the things I think about is the misinterpretation. And I'm not sure if I actually got it years ago reading your book, Florida. Uh, not Florida, but uh, coaching tennis. Uh, but um, the uh, program the USTA uh, put out on no cut tennis, and I've had a lot of discussions on that. People say, "Oh, it's uh, it's a recreation thing only." And I spoke at the PTR symposium at the high school, and I thought it's an important part of uh, high school coaching. Uh, you know, what you make out of yourself. I was accused sometimes of not running a no-cut program, uh, although I did because I had a contract that the players had to sign with me. I think I'm pretty sure I got that from either reading your from yours or hearing you at one of the times you were speaking. You talked about, uh, you used the phrase called no-cut high bar, and reading, you know, knowing about the players that couldn't do the mile in the time, but you didn't cut them, you kept them on the team, but, uh, you know, they played by your rules. I I think that's important. I think history is important. Uh, if you can read my whole commentary uh, by going to uh, Florida Tennis. But uh, would you like to uh, just, Talk about that for a minute. Well, well, sure, sure. And and um, I think the best, well, first of all, thanks for having me on again. Thanks for the program. I hope you'll keep it going for a long time. We need uh, we need this very badly in tennis. And, uh, and uh, for anybody listening out there, uh, you know, you can get a wealth of knowledge from the people that uh, John has on. And just so thank you, John. But to answer your question, look, I can start with uh, this. Um, I think we need to define whether it is a sport or an after-school activity. Um, Now, you cannot have your cake and eat it, too, and no matter what people think. Um, The sport, we know about high school tennis. Uh, Yesterday on my program, I asked... um, Kenny Lovett, who's been father of a professional player. Uh, he played tennis in college. He's done a lot with the game of tennis. And he said, well, most time high school tennis is a joke. It uh, it just uh, it doesn't mean too much. It's sort of a after-school activity. And uh, I said, you're, you're right. There's a couple issues here. Number one, it's no one's fault that it's a highly skilled sport and very often a football coach or a basketball coach or a uh, debate coach is assigned to the tennis program, and that's okay. Now, here's the point. The point is, is if I was asked to coach swimming or if I was asked to coach, I've coached, this is year 41, I just finished year 41, uh, actually an abbreviated year, of course, uh, in college coaching, you're 47 coaching the sport of tennis. So the point is, is if I was asked to coach a sport like swimming or uh, let's say baseball, as much as I like baseball, I coached literally for one year. And of course I didn't know what I was doing. However, that's no excuse not to have the kids in shape. That's no excuse to treat it like it's an after-school activity. 
That's no excuse to not to do the very, very best you can with it. That's number one. That's on, I don't care if you're a music teacher. If I'm, if I, they want me to teach choir at the local high school, I'm going to do my very, very best to uh, be the best I can be and then get help and read. And, and uh, you don't have to fake it or anything, but you do the best you can. Now, on top of that, he was bringing up that we don't have most of the skilled people um, coaching high school tennis. I said, well, here's what you do. We, we could recruit very easily at a local college. If you're a high school coach, <clears throat> and by the way, I've got a good example of this happening in the state of South Carolina here and in the state of Georgia, where we, we uh, experimented with the program that I've tried to institute called Small Town Tennis USA and banking on the point that 71% of all of our professional athletes come out of towns of less than 50,000 people. But I guarantee you, in those towns of less than 50,000 people, John, you probably have, maybe you have a country club, but I bet you don't have a skilled tennis professional because there's just not a lot of money to be made there. Most of the tennis professionals go to high-income areas where they can charge an arm and a leg, and it, it works out. In our small towns, we find the best athletes. In our small towns, we find a hunger and a need to be good at football, basketball, baseball, and some other sports, but you, that's where you find the hunger. So what you do, if you're a coach in a small town, go to the local college and just say, hey, Coach, uh, do you have – somebody down the line your number seven or eight player on this college team that would like to make a couple hundred bucks a week uh listen we have an eight-week position we're going to get the community center here uh the timbuktu or the kokomo indiana or the uh all good tennessee or wherever it is we're going to give him a couple hundred bucks a week and he's he can teach tennis oh and by the way his insurance program will be through the ptr We'll get the insurance program and let's cut him loose and say this or her loose and say let's become, you want to become a tennis teacher. Now, think of what could happen. And I hope that the USTA would listen to this because a couple things that they're, they don't do, they don't prop, they do not, uh, they do not focus on small town tennis. They're always focusing on inner city tennis where the kids, want to fit in and stay, and they want to fit in and stay in. Small-town kids want to stand up and get out. So the point, inner-city kids do not like tennis. I'm sorry. You can try all you want, but you're throwing your money away. With Not all inner-city kids. You have a Francis Tiafo, and you have some people that do come up tough in the inner cities. I was an inner-city kid. You know, I learned on the backboard, and I said I had Dr. Sid E. Parks as my teacher in the backboard. The backboard and Dr. Sid E. Parks, and and uh, those were the only lessons I ever got. But the point being is that most inner-city kids want to play football, basketball, baseball, the glamour sports, and they're, it's going to take a while to learn how to play tennis and to fall in love with tennis. But the small-town tennis USA, John, you could – get a college kid, I would go anywhere. I wouldn't get one of these guys off the pro tour or something where they're going to be lazy, think they're too good. I'd get a hungry number six or seven guy on the local high school team or college team that wants to work with kids and cut them loose in the summertime and have him create energy, energy and enthusiasm. Now that would help with the high school programs, but the thing I wanted to say about high school programs too High school tennis is our sleeping giant. It's huge sleeping giant. The other question was the other question is this is asked. The tragedy with or the other point I want to make, tragedy, the formats that they play with high school players. They need if if any of you high school coaches listening out there, check out Texas high school tennis and the format that they have. It is brilliant. And I don't care what level you are. If your youngster is motivated, 
they can play a short fall season of team tennis. Boys and girls play their team tennis, you know, simultaneously in the fall. Whether or not that, you know, is a problem with, you know, with uh, facilities, well, I'm sorry. Instead of having a three-hour practice, have an hour and 15 minutes with the girls, serve together for 30 minutes, then have an hour and 15 minutes with the boys. You know, do not mix the teams unless you just want some, you know, some running or some serving or something like that. That's this is a very important thing on com- on competitive team tennis. Do not mix the teams because I'm. <laughs> hey, any of you parents out there, you have teenage kids? Hey, I'm sorry, but the boys' hormones. Uh, there's stuff going on between the ages of about 14 to 17. And they they do not need to be thinking about anything else except trying to get good at tennis while they're on that court. I'm sorry. That's just the way it works. Same thing with the girls. The girls, they don't need to be out there trying to impress boys. Keep the boys and the girls separate. I would, I would There's nothing good or bad about boys versus girls or anything like that. But, my golly, boys are walking Spinal cords between the ages uh, when they get to be 17, 18, 19. Believe me, in college, oh my golly, how many players have I lost uh, because they <clears throat> they think of the wrong things instead of training? Sometimes, you know, and that's a battle we're all going to have, and that's the way the good Lord made us. So, John, getting back to small town uh, tennis coach, I think. Uh, hopefully, uh, Coach uh, Mullins in the ITA, the college is actually, uh, uh, hopefully he's listening today because I suggest he contact you yeah. because well, they're actually Mullins, just adopting me, a similar look, program. Look, Coach Mullins, if you're listening, please call me. Call me. Any of you high school coaches, you want to call me and get my ideas about format, here's what your format should be. Study what Texas is. In the fall, you have team tennis, and then from January on, you put together a tournament circuit every other weekend, have a nice tournament with four teams, with six teams, with eight teams, or even two teams. Bring them together, play tournament tennis, because kids grow. This is very important. Kids, any player grows exponentially with their skill set with tournament tennis. On one weekend, a number five player may take a jump. A, a young lady may get hot and win a tournament, and, one, and, and in three days she can go from number five on the team to number one on the team in tournament tennis. So you grow exponentially. But here's the thing, too. You only fall arithmetically. You can lose in tournament tennis First round, first round, first round, first round. Tournament, because you get tired of losing and you go out and practice enough, tournament tennis is better for player development. The team stuff that we all like to have because we all thought we were going to be top basketball coaches like folks out there, Coach John Denise, basketball, high school basketball coach. How many years, Coach? Uh, quite a few before I got into uh, Can't there, but I, I actually okay. coached. Besides okay. that, right. I coached city <laughs> leagues. And, uh, I know, I know. Hey, coach, coach, we all – I grew up in Indiana. We all wanted to be basketball coaches. So we yep. love the team dynamic, and there's a lot of things. But here's the point. In team tennis, that number five player only grows arithmetically. They can win six matches in a row, and they lose the seventh match. And everybody says, why'd you let us down? You know, and, and it crushes them. But in, and then as they grow, as they win, they only grow arithmetically, but when they fall, they fall geometrically. So that is number, number one format. So here's, here's the two things on high school tennis, which is sleeping giant. If I was in charge of high school tennis in the United States, I would promote is there a position like that where I could stay in South Carolina and not have to move? But the point is, John, you, what you do, what you do with high school tennis is you you've got to develop the players and let them learn how to play in the summer times. But you bring in someone like a hungry college kid 
or a college young lady, and then they basically work with kids, and then the spring season comes along. They're also working with that high school coach. And believe me, look, I've been coaching 47 years. If I'm trying to coach baseball, I will listen to a high school kid. I'll listen to a college kid. And you bet I don't know enough about it. And uh, anybody that gets intimidated by that, you're just thinking about it wrong. And then you need to correct the format. So here's the point also, John. Now, folks, listen to this now. 41 years I've coached college tennis. That's something like 13,000 practices. For 24 years at Clemson, I never cut a player. Never cut a player. Even if they weren't very good in tennis, we had a physical high bar. You had to make a 515 mile, 520 for a lot of years, and then we moved it up 515 when we got pretty good. I started making the guys train all summer. So you had to make your mile time. And then you had the accountability. You gave people a contract. I wouldn't do that. I basically, John, they had to contribute every day. They had to be on time. They had to be the hardest workers. We had a, a challenge, challenge at ladder every day. We had a next man in policy. If you didn't do the job, if you weren't there, you lost your spot. You had to contribute. So I probably had, in the, up for my first 24 years, John, I probably had 150 kids quit that had tried out for the team, but I only kicked off four. In 33 years, I only kicked four off for being slackers in some way once they made the physical requirements. So the word is no cut but high bar. And then it had a degree of pride that went along with it. Now, here is is the point, though. After my 24th year, they brought in the proportionality, and they started making me cut players. So I had to cut very, very good players, and I was only allowed 10 per squad size. And if you are a senior in high school and you're looking to go to college and play tennis, you're probably going to be very, very frustrated right now because this, because what teams' squad size are usually only 10 on the men's side because – on the women's side, they can only usually get about 10 on a college team. It was always had to do with how many were on the women's team. And I, this is absolute truth on this. I met with the Title IX player, the, excuse me, the Title IX regional college guy, and he's this older guy that I told him, look, why do we have a limit on the men's side? I could have 25 guys that want to play. He said, well, the women only get 10. I said, he said, you only get 10. I said, why, look, because women won't play, men can't play. And in the college level, boys are still thinking, I want to be good at this till they're 25 or 26. Most women are wanting to get on with their lives in other way, not that they don't like athletics, but it is different for women they do not try out for things they can't get scholarships for. It's not about scholarships with the boys. They just want a chance. Now we add in, John, the foreign athletes. All of the foreign players that we have, it's 80% foreign. And, and, oh, by the way, on the women's side, same thing. Guess what? Title IX was not set up to protect women from Spain and Portugal and France and Ecuador. Title IX was set up for United States young ladies. My daughter, who I'm sitting here watching practice right now in tennis, my daughter, your daughter, and all of our daughters to have a shot at playing. Well, we, our American girls are not getting a chance to play. Title IX has worked against them because we've left it open to be all international players. Well, we've got to do something about that. So basically – Men on the men's side, American men are getting pushed out of the college arena. Okay, John, I'm going to want you to get me to move on here in a second, but I just worked with a group of youngsters, probably 14 kids. I said, it matters that you give everything to every minute you're on the court. The statistics are this, and I don't want to scare parents off. 
that for every 100 children, youngsters that play high school tennis, only 1.5 will get to play college tennis. Okay, 1.5. That's only 15 out of 1,000. John, 15 out of 1,000 kids playing on a high school team. Now, that's why the no-cut thing is so bad unless you have a high standard. It's been diluted all the way down to where it's, it's not even meaningful. So, that, you know, we need our leaders to take a good look at that. But isn't that astonishing? 1.5% of the kids who play high school tennis, by the way, we have 400,000 youngsters on high school teams. You know, we only have 26,000. That's 7%. Seven out of 100 play tournaments in the summertime. So we basically have created a club, an after-school activity for our kids by lowering the bar. So I can talk about a bunch else, John, but that's the deal. I'm telling you straight up on high school what's going on. Listen, it is a folks. It is a sleeping giant out there. Let's do the high school tennis right, and we will stimulate growth of tennis in this country like nobody's business. But when you make it easy to pick up, it becomes easy to put down. If there's no merit to making the team, then why the heck would you want to be on that team? I mean, the merit of getting cut is if you're watching – the last dance stuff with Michael Jordan, uh, the motivation there had a little bit to do with him getting cut and his bigger brother <laughs> telling him that he'd never be good enough. You know, I mean, and so, folks, we're not doing anything about having kids just by giving them opportunities. USTA, you're so far wrong and off base when you think that participation will ever breed excellence. Excellence breeds participation. Participation does not breed excellence. So, John, any other thing on high school tennis there? Because I think you wanted me to talk about the the propagation and the the culture of tweenerism too. I think. <laughs> yeah, I think that's what. I, because I, I'm of the opinion today, and I think there's a lot of blame to go around, is that college tennis is where I, for 20 years ago, when I was asking over and over, is your, you know, do you have an after-school sports team or is it an after-school activity? And you and I think the same as far as if it's an activity, if you're just monitoring and you're not working at something, you don't appreciate it, you don't deserve it. And I think college is at that point now, in fairness, and I'm not so sure. No, college, college is following it. College is becoming an after-school yeah. activity. Yeah. I mean, the you girl, have, uh, the good girl isn't going to go to play college tennis. She's going no. into the pros. And uh, the right. boys in college tennis, when there's no practice, and, you know, we repetition, to me, it's crazy because it's we, we use it to educate people. When we start kids out in first grade, you know, what is it? It's repetition that we're teaching. We're teaching, we're going to teach them how to read or teach them to do, her to do math. This is what we're doing. And competition, the same thing is needed. And um, when you stop that, uh, you're going to lose your, the talent. I, would, I have two grandsons playing college baseball, and of course they're not doing anything now where they are. Uh, but they're doing it on their own. But if, uh, you, you know, once you get there, I think it was, well, it was, it was Thomas Woods, Thomas Wolf, and I sent it to my grandkids because I'm always fearful and I'm always letting them know. And I reminded them, if a person has talent and cannot use it, he has failed. If he has talent and uses only half of it, he has partially failed. If he has talent and learned somehow to use the whole of it, he has gloriously succeeded, and one satisfaction and triumph few will ever know. 
And I'm, you know, I know they got a pain in the neck, grandfather. But you know, they're talented boys. But you know, baseball <clears throat> might be through the college, but you better keep working at it because if you don't, guess what? You think you're going to be a major leaguer? The major leaguers ain't waiting for college to come back. So you made some really, really good points here. And one, I think um, you might put it this way, you know, Johnny Wooden's book, They Call Me Coach. Um, first book I ever read when I started coaching college in 1975. He had, a, he had a quote at the start of the chapter that said, what you are is God's gift to you. What you become is your gift back to God. And I feel God. like this awesome talent is God-given. But listen, skill set is from the work you do. I had a young man who was extremely, extremely talented and extremely smart. And it's one of these deals, you know, he's frustrated and I'm frustrated with him. And he wants to come over and sort of have this heated discussion. I walk over under a tree with him. And I said, I want you to look at me. Look at me. Okay? You're extremely smart. I think you're, you're, you are more talented and you are smarter than I am but I'm way more skilled because I've skilled my craft for 47 years. And here's the point. We don't pay attention to this. We don't honor the, the wisdom of older people, and we don't honor those people who've been through the battles. And uh, it's a different subject, but what I get very frustrated with, a lot of the higher-profile jobs, like even in the USTA, oh, the ITA is unbelievable. I mean, that you get people who have never done tennis that are making decisions. And, um, you know, the point being is that a lot of times we'll get people who have very little skin or no skin in the game. And then the worst thing, you want to see something that's ran poorly, you, you put number two people in charge of things and they'll hire number three and four people. But a good, strong number one person who knows what to do will put strength around him or around herself. Let me make this point. You made a good point earlier that if you're a female, college is not the route to go. And I completely agree with you. I know very few women. um, Okay, let me put it this way. In the past 30 years, I can only think of two, two players since the good team of Gretchen Rush and some girls at the University of Florida that played pro tennis, I can only think of two players, uh, Nicole Gibbs and uh, the Falcone young lady that played at Georgia Tech that have made top 100 after going to college. That's two in about 25 years. Two in 25 years after eight scholarships per team times 500 teams or so. Think about that. Eight times 500 teams we've had, but what's, what's eight five, John? Eight times five, that's 40, isn't it? Right. Okay, you have 40, okay, <laughs> you have 40,000 young ladies or uh, eight times five, whatever. Right. <laughs> I got that wrong at 3,200, 3,200. Very, very good players. Very, very good players. 4,000 very, very good players that careers come to an end. Because, number one, it's the format of college tennis. Number two, you don't get to practice enough. Number three, the coaching, you have to really have a pathway of hard work and intermittent goals to bring them along. Now, let's talk about the men. Men, right now, we have a total of three men that went to college, Americans, who went to high school and college in the U.S., and are in the top 100. Now, who are they? You got John Isner, you got Stevie Johnson, and Dennis Sangren. I hope he becomes our next world champion because his work ethic and his journey will inspire everyone. All the best of luck to Tennis Sangren, and that young University of Tennessee did a great job with him because he has the heart of a lion and he would be a great, great champion. John, we don't have another top 100 player that came out of college. That was a high school kid that came out of college, by the way. So we have four 
males and females. In 1986, we had 41. Okay, now what's changed? I think that the people, the ITA and those people, well, first of all, they dumbed down college. They've dumbed down high school. They've dumbed that's down college. That's the thing right there. That's the, that's the thing right down. there. And now you're now, saying the But point. I want to ask you a question, John. Let me ask you one more question real quick here before I lose my trend of thought. In all your high schooling school days, how many times did you ever have a college coach come out to one of your dual matches, dual meets, to watch one of your kids? Ever? I, I don't think so. I don't think so. I'm trying to. Ever, ever, ever. Yeah, I don't no. think so. John, in 41 years of college coaching, I've only been to two high school practices ever. Now, let's a dual meets. I've only been to three in 41 years. Now, let me ask you this. Why would that be when you look at football, basketball, baseball, cross country, every high school kid is being recruited in their high school sport except for tennis. Except for tennis. Why is that? Why do kids look, and so we are failing our kids tremendously John, when we don't put a sport out there that trains them, trains them up and stretches them to be excellent. We're putting an after-school activity out there that is a babysitting proposition. Not in every place. And please forgive me if you think that I think every high school program is not that. I've seen some programs in Texas that, I, that are just tremendous. Florida used to have tremendous high school programs. I think in Gainesville, Florida, my golly, I think it was uh, Chris Baxter, I think was the coach at Gainesville High School. My golly, all top five of their guys, Jeff Brown, John Ross, Ed Ross, Shelby Cannon, and watch the daggone, John went to daggone, Andy Solis went to Auburn. Yep. John, uh, Andy Solis went to Auburn. It was a great player. Hey, John Ross, Ed Ross, MU, Shelby Cannon, All-American number one in the country at the University of Tennessee, and then Jeff Brown, LSU. Holy guacamole. Unbelievable. Now, so that was Florida High School, Gainesville High School tennis team years and years ago. It was about 19, dang, about 1980, 81. So it can be done. So what have we done wrong here? You know, it's, it's so anyhow, John. Uh, our, our tournament system is another. You know, I had an incident uh, in the last few weeks, and I think I'm, I'm always saying how coaching uh, sports and coaching business is the same. With this virus and everything, uh, I've actually have a couple old clients came back to me and uh, and I helped them with the SBA and helped them with business and I've been truthfully doing more work for business coaching again. And one of the people had somebody that I had met and they contacted me about going to work for them and they said, you know, and they're like three times bigger the size of the company that I'm doing the work for. And they told me that right away. He says, I'm not looking to grow or anything. I just want to make sure that I get everything I deserve from the SBA. And I want to just, I'm happy with staying. You know, I know you're like some better business and everything. I don't need that. And I said, well, I'm not the person for you. And but what do you right. mean? We have a question about how much I'm willing to pay you. I mean, I said it doesn't matter how much you're willing to pay me because I have a belief that you cannot reach a certain level and stay there. You either have to work to get better, or else you're going to get worse. And I don't. And if you're coming from the position that you just want to stay where you are. Three years from now, when you start going down, it's going to be 
Coach Denise is the guy that ruined my business. I only know how to sit there and help people get better. I don't want to learn how to go. And I think college did what the high school did, what the USDA did, and they made it a recreational game. In college, it's the, and well, it's the same thing. The USDA has these programs in college, and you're competing against people that are trying to be the best. Uh, I don't know. Maybe they're smarter coaches than me, but I don't think you can just reach a certain level and stay there. Better never. I don't think. I don't know them. Uh, I've been blessed to meet them a couple times, but I don't know them. There's, I don't uh, think he was ever happy staying where he was. Once you're content and staying where you are, you're not going nowhere except down probably. Well, very, very true, and I hope you can hear me all right. I had to put you on the speakerphone because I had to pick up my daughter, you know, as she was playing tennis, and I'm just excited to watch the training that this uh, coach she worked with put him through, treating him like it's a sport, not just an activity. But, uh, John, here you hit on something that's really, really important, and I say this over and over when I talk to the USDA. Their number one flaw is that they believe they need to separate participation from competition. Now, in the earlier stages, I believe that you work kids into it, you let them have fun. Then when they get to be about 12, 13, or 14, about 30% of the kids are just naturally competitive, and they gravitate towards competition. They don't have to do anything. Now, let me say that 20% of the kids, I think, will never be competitive. They're just not wired for it. I had a sister that played very well, but she was never never liked competition. But at 50% in the middle, which I was one of those, I think, we have to learn how to compete, and, and we have to go through the steps. So now my point being is I think that they do this all wrong in that, yes, you, you do different programs, to get kids introduced to tennis, but the minute they get to be 12 years old and things, you play with regular equipment, you teach with full matches, you teach them how to compete, and you have them go through the processes, but do not dumb that down. High school tennis should not be dumbed down. And then what right. you do is participation trophy, excuse me, participation trophy, Participation tennis should be a byproduct of that in that you have your mixers and you have your short sets. You can play your no-ad and things. The women's leagues, women will get mad at me out there, but I'm sorry, your sport is participation tennis. I saw a lady, she, you know, she had all these gold balls and 60 and overs and things like that. Well, no, I'm sorry, and this guy had had a bronze ball and, 70 and over, sorry, still participation tennis. And, and the point being is that you can do anything you want with those age groups, but if kids are on track to play for their high school team and maybe a college team, and then tournaments, everything should be tough. You're not, you, you can't breed champions. Comfort bears no fruit. You can't breed top players in anything without the discipline and the hard work. So, the USTA, you guys got to get your act together and quit mixing and matching and trying to think that participation breeds excellence. Excellence breeds participation. So, but it's part of our tweenerism society, and it's part of this whole deal where we participate. You know, we get participation trophies, and, and and we all know that's bad. We all know it's wrong to get high grades in school if they haven't earned it. We all know that to get something for not working for it only does harm to a child in the long run. We all know that, but for some reason we want to coddle our children and never see them hurt. And I'm just telling parents, and when this all started, about 30 years ago, we started seeing these bumper stickers. And forgive me if you've got the bumper sticker that says, my kid is a terrific kid at Middle, uh, mid, mid, Midlothian Elementary or Kokomo Junior High. My kid is a terrific kid. My kid is not. I mean, you know, 
that kind of thinking, you're not building kids up. They know. They know that the trophy they get is a dud, you know, if it doesn't mean anything. But we give out tournaments, tennis tournaments, ridiculous, John. I went to a junior tournament, they're giving out six awards. They gave out consolation winner, consolation runner-up, and then they gave a trophy to the first place, second place, third place, and fourth place. I said, whoa, you got to be pretty bad not to walk away from the trophy. Oh, I'm sorry. They had all these sportsmanship badges that were passed around for the happiest losers. <laughs> I mean, it's it's what are we doing? It's it's just ridiculous. So I don't know. I wish uh, I need to get busy and try to be on some committees to try to get some people to change their thinking. But the problem is, again, most people, you know, they on the outside. They always think when they look at tennis, hey, I could do that, I could do that, I could do that. Well, they can't. This is a very elite sport as far as the skill set. Not everybody can be a great pianist or a great ballet dancer or, you know, somebody that plays violin in the New York Philharmonic. You know, it's it's a tough, tough sport. No question. No question. I think, you know, I, I – I think you got to make up your mind, you know, what you want to do. And, and recreation tennis, I have nothing against. I think there's a place for it. I think when you – maybe I should accept it uh, more at my age uh, now. But when I was – looked to get into coaching and at the tennis band not to go home because I wanted to go home looking at all those old coaches. I went out and got coaching tennis as a book because I knew I had to learn that stuff. I made sure that the coaches that worked for me, everybody that, all my coaches had your book. All my coaches had, there's a half a dozen books that they had because they were about competing, about teaching, about getting better. If you're in recreation, you don't think that. And I'm not saying everybody should no. go out and, and buy, uh, you know, your book and Linda LeClaire's book and uh, Nick Saviano's book and Alan Fox's book. But if you're going to teach the game, if you want to, yes, first you have to know what the game is, you have to know what skill levels there are, and you better learn it. So, you know, this is what we have to, in my opinion, teach our coaches. And, you know, yes, you are going to make mistakes. God, nobody made more mistakes than I made. But you better start, you know, I always found people like you. And, I mean, I remember when I went through the high performance, I, I saw Bobby Davis there in Maryland when I went up there. I went and sat right next to him. I said, boy, with his experience at Navy and now I'm doing this, I'm going to sit there and get into his mind. You know, look at where they go and they look at me. When you're talking to Bobby, who can I sit next to and steal what they've got in their head? Sure. Well, look, when you sit next to Bobby Bayless, he's the Yoda of, of tennis. And I'd like to tell folks, go out and get Bobby Bayless's book. Uh, that's a great one. But also, go out and get Rod Laver's book, the autobiography, Rod Laver's by Triumph Books. I have not read anything in tennis that really matches up with it, but it tells Rod Laver's life story of tennis. But it, first of all, you will be struck by the great, great respect that he and all those Australians and all of that older generation had for the sport of tennis. They treated it like a great, great art form. There's no, there's very few jerks out there and people that would thought that the game was made for them. You know, it's like this. What's this guy's name that's got all the shot? Curios. He always thinks it's oh, a yeah. Nick show. Hey, it's Nick. It's a Curios show. This game is for me, man. Pathetic. Pathetic. I would if somebody paid me. Five thousand dollars to go watch his match. I wouldn't. I wouldn't disrespect the sport and go watch him. You know, because he's nothing but a 
daggone circus clown with, with the way that he does. Dis- I'm not sure about that, that Coach. That's my I'm not sure. I'm not sure hey, about coach, that. Coach, Coach, that's yeah. my opinion. That is my opinion as a coach. I just yep. hate to disrespect that's shown for the game. Not when you had an Arthur Ashe and you have a Stan Smith and a Rod Laver and a Ken Rosewall. And in all of the great, great champions that we've had, the first thing they learned was to honor the game. Every junior player in America, instead of watching that guy go out and hit balls between his legs and thinks he's too good for the sport, we need to have them read Rod Laver's book. And if you read Rod Laver's book, his autobiography, all of you will go to the tennis court with a great reverence for the game. You honor the game, and then it might honor you one day. But we're going about it bad. But I'd like to say something here. I know your time's running late. But I have one more thing. We had the go greatest ahead. system in the world of junior tournaments for years. We had six of the best. Everybody knew what to do. Everything was bottom-up management. You became the best in your club, then the best in your neighborhood, then the best in your city, then the best in your county, then the best in your state. Guess what? Then you got to go to regionals and nationals, and everybody that showed up at the six big, big national tournaments, and now and then they got to go to an international tournament like the Orange Bowl, everybody knew that was the cream of the crop, so you were in the cream. All right, so the USDA gets this idea, no. That's too uh, in, non-inclusive. So let's put together these fake nationals. I call them fake national tournaments, where you go and guess what? We're just chasing points. Well, kids don't play for points. Kids play for rivalries and tournaments of heritage. So, I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous. Again, the motivation, kids need incentives, not systems. They need incentives. Just, you know, they need to be shown the competition. So we had this great system, and we dominated world tennis. And then somebody, some sports psychology guy, and I hate, I'm not slamming on them, some sports scientist, these marketing guys get together, and they never play good club tennis, most of them. They don't know how to play. You know, it, it's disgusting. And, and then they ask them, and they get their ideas, and what the heck happens? What the heck happens? All of a sudden, they're coming up with 32, all these national events. Now the richest people only can go play them, and they big borrow and steal for points. And, and nobody, everybody's just average. So everything, everything is just average. And so what happens to that? But here's, here's the point. We have tennis socialism going on in the United States. USDA. You're either United States Tennis Association or you're, you know, socialist, U.S. Socialist Party tennis. You're dictating everything that goes on. Everything is going to be run by big brother government now. And you're going to kill it off. And all you're going to have is mediocrity. You will not have any champions again. You will not have champions again if you push through your socialist agenda. You must stimulate from the bottom up, not top down. Those USDA people, I know they don't like me. I gave about five or six years of my life. I I worked for them, and I know what it takes. We had our chance. I know what it takes, and I know how to what it takes for these kids to be champions. (laughs) And they're doing. They're they're just they're trying to stimulate champions from afar. It's just. The government down, top down, does not work. We have great people in there. We have some very fine quality people in there. But top down management does not work. It's been 20 years since we've had a, a champion. So I, I really like now, I like Riley Opelko. I like that kid. He's got guts and heart. I really like what's going on there. From time to time, Francis Tiafo looks like he can do it, then he doesn't, then he does, then he doesn't. You know, but I, you know, I think the kid's got the fire underneath the hood. We got to get him to hold on to the steering wheel longer. You know, and there's some other kids in there. A tennis Sangren, I hope he came out of college. But we need some people who burn for it, like our older champions used to. 
No, I mean, uh, for whatever reason, our kids get pretty good, and then they get off the bus. They just get off. And they don't relish their, when they get so many opportunities to play these fake national tournaments, then they don't relish the moment. And it's just uh, so the socialist tennis thing's got to go, John. That's It's got to go. We've got to go bottom up. High school tennis, small town tennis, your neighborhood tennis, people need to put together their own tournaments. And, uh, you know, it's just very, very frustrating to me as a coach because I love this sport and I know you do too. Well, I think the problem is, you know, but you can't give up on it because I think part of it is our uh, our fault too is because we sat there and, you know, didn't uh, push enough or we maybe some of us pushed too hard and uh, uh, in a different uh, way. But, uh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Know, wait. I think stop, there stop, are stop. some smart people. Yeah, you know, I'm impressed uh, right here in uh, Florida uh, with the USTA uh, Florida section and uh, you know, I think we just have to convince them like we have to convince the other sections. And I know I sound like a broken record because the eight years I was on the board of directors for the Florida section, I said it over and over. We've got to give ideas to the national instead of carrying out the national's policy. So I agree with you. Correct. You know, your socialism doesn't work in countries. It doesn't work in Tennis, uh, but <laughs> if we don't talk about that there, if we're afraid to talk about that, then we're going to live in a socialist country. I mean, I'm I'm not a fan. I've been a PTR pro for over 30 uh, years. The USPTA, I think, is a very good uh, organization. Today, when I got involved in uh, tennis, though. The PTI was an educational uh, group, and the USPTA was a good old boys network, and I needed to be educated about tennis, so selfishly well, I went I there. You there. Today uh, I would belong I to both you... organizations if I was a young pro, but I mean, it, you can't surrender, the PTR or the USPTA can't surrender the coaching aspect no, to the USDA, otherwise there's a problem. John, John i got to get this in. PTA's done. They're done. They've already sided with the socialist group. They already sided. They're top-down management all the way. I don't care about them. You want education, PTR's better. And at the same time, I'm just, it's my opinion. It's my opinion, and I, I have my number for the PTA Back in 1975, I'm one of the top first 2,000 members ever, I think. The bottom line on the thing is that they're not doing the job because they are they are carrying the water for the USDA. That's all. They're carrying the water for the USDA. PTR, Dennis Sandemir, when he created that stuff, they wanted to be an organization outside of the fray. They wanted to be an outlier group, and that's what they were. And I think uh, Dan Santorum is trying to do his best to hold ground and have their own unique programs. But I, I, I take my head off to the PTR. I really like them. I'm still a member. But the PTA, I, you know, I wouldn't go across the street to see that that organization eat a bale of hay. You know, I mean, if you want to tell you. Coach, we just killed and we just killed an hour. I don't know if you heard that 15 <laughs> seconds ago, but well, we're down to the last 15 seconds. I want to thank you yeah. for being on. I want to let the people know in two weeks we'll have Ashley Hobson on. Uh, hopefully, we'll. Uh, he has some good ideas of why we don't have why I lost my grandson to baseball instead of uh, tennis. But there's opportunities, and uh, and that goes beyond the USTA, truthfully. Uh, uh, we're just not giving the young uh, people that want to go professional the opportunity to make a living. So we're going to get into that conversation because that's an important conversation. And it's crazy that you could be in the top 50 
and uh, and you can't make a living in tennis. If you're in the top well, 50 in baseball or other sports, you're making a living. So I thank you for being on. I ask you all yep. to please uh, tune in again in two weeks, and uh, take care. Be safe.